in the work that I do now, it's all about unmasking people. Like I now show up in the world where I'm unmasked in every situation. And it's taken me a lot of speaking into my truth to get there. On my website, I have a tell-all video about my story of my childhood and my upbringing in these relationships. Purely to speak into it so it has less power over me. Because once it's out in the world, all these stories, all this shame, all this guilt, all this fear that I have about being seen, it kind of evaporates because it's out there now. And you know what? No one came after me with pitchforks. I haven't been burned at the stake. Raise 1000 Voices is the podcast on a mission to raise the voices of the clever, creative and courageous women across the world. I am your host, Jacqueline Nagel, and I invite you to join me in conversations with women who will inspire and empower you as we explore just how to lift our levels of self-trust, to reclaim the narrative and to use our voice to go after exactly what we want, doing it with strength, power and grace. For this next episode of Raise 1000 Voices, I would love to welcome Leslie Kane to the show. Leslie, hello and how are you? I'm amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you. Now, I have come to know you a lot over the last few years, but before we get stuck into God knows where we're going to go with this conversation, (laughs) for our audience listening along, where are you at the moment? In life or physically? I'm from... (laughs) (laughs) Let me just start with physically because life could take a while. I'm Perth, Western Australia. Amazing. And it's actually a key question for those people who will seek you out and follow you on social because they'll soon discover that you're very rarely in one place at one time. <laughs> truly. <laughs> truly. So, Leslie, also too, I, as we mentioned, I've got to know you a little bit over the years. For everyone listening along, and this is probably the second part of that question uh-huh. that you just featured at, give us the seven to ten minute capsule of Leslie Kay, how she's got to where she is at evolution unfolding right from being a little girl. Wow. Okay. We're definitely probably going to hit the 10 minutes. Who is Leslie Kay? Holy. It's really interesting because I'd have to say that this story has changed since I first began to tell it. Yes. And I would say that because truly the language that I use around my childhood likely is framed differently now than it would have been even if I had have made this introduction four weeks ago. Yeah. You know, I had this story of being the girl with no parents, the girl with no mum specifically. And only three weeks ago, after 23 years, I reconnected with my mum for the first time in 23 years and actually sat down and had a conversation and allowed her to love me in the only way she could. Yeah. So for those playing along at home, I guess my story is, and I'm really careful to try not to label or to play into story, but it will give you some context, is I was born to drug addicted parents. When I was four years old, my mother... And I don't believe my father was there at the time, but I guess my father sort of gave me up to my grandparents to raise me. From what I'm learning to understand through asking more questions is just my mother's mental health probably wasn't the best. And rather than traditional ways of coping with that or non-traditional, as I found in the field of psychedelics, she chose drugs or, or yeah addictive drugs at, at that point in time to cope with the world and how she felt in the world and the way she showed up in the world. So... My childhood had challenges, as a lot of people's childhoods do. I, Again, to give you context, I would say I had big T trauma. I try not to label now with my language and more so because I, I've identified as the girl with trauma for so long that it's not really conducive to my development to keep labeling myself in that way. Yeah. I actually love that because I'm actually, I'm really, I'm really personally tired of the trauma label. And particularly, I think when you shift to defining the story rather than the story defining you, 
it's like, can we just leave that alone for a moment? It's become almost like an obsession. So I'm right beside you on that one. Yeah, truly. It's just, it's necessary to give context in one way, but in another, you know, I use the excuse that for so long, you know, I would talk about, I'm not a victim to anything. And then I would notice small ways victimhood would sneak into my language, would sneak into my world, would sneak into my life. And we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that shortly as the journey continues. So yeah, raised in, I guess, a broken home with a lot of violence and a lot of uncertainty, a lot of instability. Was quite smart, thankfully. I actually truly believe everyone's born smart and we're just told that we're not. So I was able to harness this ability and this belief to be able to use my intelligence to push me forward in life. I got ducks to the school. I then in high school, I actually dropped out in year 11, but that was to follow a boy more so than not actually enjoying education. <laughs> I studied journalism. I got straight A's in English and then got my first job in real estate when I was 17. I took a sabbatical and moved to the Gold Coast and pretty much partied every night for nine months when I was 19. I think that's where I got a lot of my hustle from. Yeah, <laughs> 19 years old on the Gold Coast, nearly 20 years ago. There's a lot of hustle going on. A lot down. of hustle, a lot of hustle. And there's a deep dive on that journey on my website under um, my tell all video. And then I got enticed out of real estate into recruitment. And this is sort of where the journey started to change. I've always been quite self-aware, gratefully. And I'd noticed sort of a self-sabotaging behavior when I first started recruitment that I would last in a job for nine months. And as soon as I got bored or perhaps started to lay down roots or had any form of stability, I would sort of self-sabotage and bail out and move on to my next challenge. I had some really good managers when I first started in recruitment, some really good leaders. And I managed to stay in recruitment for, well, at Hayes, which was my first job for eight years. And in that time, I became their top biller. So I remember at the time I was doing bodybuilding and my manager at the time said, if you put as much effort into your job as you did your appearance, (laughs) you would be really good at this. And so I did. I talk about boring belief at that time from that manager. And I guess from people that could see where I came from, but knew that I had the ability to make something of my life. I quick became Hayes' top biller literally holding the record for after my second year for six years as their top biller nationally, internationally, and I still hold the record worldwide. I think $3.2 million annually in profit, so pure margin that I made for Hayes. Yeah, so I talk about, you know, turning my past or my, basically I was avoiding myself. So rather than spend any time alone or spend any time with anyone that I could make connection with, I worked. Yeah. It kind of helped me because it catapulted my career, but there was a long period of time where I actually chose to work over spending time with myself or spending time with my ex-husband or spending time with anyone that I could form any true deep connections with because I that was scary for me. Yeah. Then I started to listen to Grant Cardone. I felt pregnant and I was told that I couldn't keep my business. They obviously followed all the correct policies and procedures. I'm not here to badmouth Hayes, but it was just the policy that if you went on maternity leave, your desk was given up to someone else if you took up a long period of time off. Now, for someone that had built that business from nothing to making 700k in take-home pay, I wasn't going to give that up easily. At first, I chose to only take eight weeks off on maternity leave. 
And within that time, when I came back to the business, I realized that my clients were actually there for me in the relationships that I had. And I decided that, you know, if I wanted to have more children, I didn't want to be dictated to. I didn't want someone to say, you know, if you're going to choose to raise a family, you can't also have wealth. Yeah. And I've never really been one to listen to no. It's all, <laughs> it, if the answer is no, my next question is, but how? Yeah. So, yeah, I sort of use that to, and, you know, Grant Cardone, I've written an article about it. I sort of borrowed belief from him and, uh, you know, the 10x rule, you can have anything you want in life, 10x sales, all of those things. And so I sought out a partnership to, at the time I was looking to start on my own, I decided it would be easier to join an already established company. So I was invited to join an East Coast based business to start their West Coast mining arm. And the idea was to take my business with me, which I did quite successfully within 18 months, I'd gone from zero to 60 million in turnover. Yeah. Huge numbers, huge success in a short period of time. And then I discovered that I probably shouldn't have trusted the people that I trusted within that organization and that my naivety at that time, probably arrogance as well. I was, I've had a few ego deaths since then. I didn't actually realize that shareholders agreements needed to be lodged with ASIC to be binding. Yeah. <laughs> this was actually, Jack was in my world then and I actually remember you. I remember you were saying something to me and I was like, can I ask you a question about, it was a random thing. And I was like, can I ask you a question about that? And you were like, yeah, sure. And I asked you a question and your answer, I was like, Leslie, we've got trouble here. Like, I know you don't want trouble here right now, but we've got trouble here. (laughs) Yes. Actually, my world started to change when I brought you into my world because you helped me. Should I duck the cup? No, 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 no. No, the most in the best ways. Because... You didn't allow me to be naive. This was sort of the first step into being this self-responsibility, which I now bring into all of my work was, you know, truthfully, and I've done some work on this, you know, I probably was using a lot of my ego and a lot of my ability to flirt, my charisma to get me where I wanted in life. And I speak about, you know, in some of my work, like the shadows of being the alpha femme. And I was truly alpha femme, you know, suit, heels, boobs. Pretty smile, and most men will give you what you want. And that is a shadow that I yeah. speak into. It, it's not how I operate anymore, but there was a lot of naivety and, I guess, weaponizing of my sexuality at that point in time. And it sort of got me great places, but it also got me into a lot of sticky situations because I entered the world with such naivety. Yeah. So as this naivety sort of started to get knocked out of me, <laughs> I then left this organization I literally left on Friday and on the Monday, I launched a, a business entirely on yeah. my own. Out of your garage. Out of my garage. I'm back in my garage now, but it's my office. It's like full <laughs> circle. My bread made it at this time. Yeah, so you started a business out of my garage. I then partnered with... Can I just also, too, before yeah. we go into that new yeah. partnership as well, people listening going, oh, you left the business, you started on the Monday. Yes. You've had a Supreme Court battle for your right to exist, though, that you won. And I yes. think that's really important for women listening to us to understand. Yes. And you yeah. weren't going to do it. No, no. So, yeah, I think non-competes are really interesting battlefields. There was a lot of, I guess, every situation's different and there was a lot of things in my favor with, you know, a shareholders agreement that had my non-compete that wasn't lodged. So, yeah. number one, like if they're their own dodginess, I guess, actually played out in my favor. Absolutely. But also it was really interesting to be in the court process because there was a lot of questions around non-competes in the first place. Yeah. And all I would say is sit in integrity. 
because yeah. for me, it was my clients and it was my business. I didn't try to take anyone that was already there. I didn't want anything to do with the business that was the other consultants that I managed. It was purely just these are my relationships with my clients that I've dealt with for eight years. I would have happily stayed within the business if I had have been looked after in the way that I was told I was going to be looked after. The reason that it all started to come unstuck is because I started to ask for my dividends were given we were making $60 million in turnover and I got crickets. And this is when I reached out to professionals like Jack to sort of start to help me piece together why I wasn't being treated with the same level of respect as everyone else. I don't like to play into the misogynistic field. I'm, I'm a big believer in that we create our own reality. Yeah. So I was... You know, and I actually talk about this was all happening and I'll jump into the next story shortly because I didn't trust men because my dad abandoned me and left me to be abused basically in my, in the narrative I was running into the, with the world. So I was then bringing into my reality men that I couldn't trust that were going to screw me over in some way just to prove this narrative that I couldn't trust men. Yeah, constantly recreating the evidence. Yeah, constantly, constantly trying to prove to myself that men couldn't be trusted. So... Yeah, whilst I don't like to play into that narrative, there certainly was this undertone of like silly little girl. Yeah. She doesn't know what she's doing and we will take advantage of her. And truly, like I mentioned, I'll own the naivety, but like once bitten, bitten twice shy for me, I go to the ends of the earth for anyone. I'm much better at communicating and relating these days because my relationship with myself is solid. But even in that era of my life, because my little girl, because I just so desperately wanted to be looked after and loved, I would have stayed as a quarter of a of a shareholder in a business that was making or turning over $60 million a year if I was well looked after and if that side of the agreement had been upheld. Yeah. For me, it was more the deceit. I can't come back from deceit and that is just my conditioning my based on my childhood experiences. So I, I know myself deep enough to know you could literally stand across from me and call me every name under the sun. And as long as you were standing in your truth and expressing that to me, I could receive it and our relationship could move forward. The inability to trust and the inability to have difficult conversations is what loses my trust within a relationship. So when it comes to you had this perception, you were recreating the evidence that you couldn't trust men, that still played out a little bit more, didn't it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And we weren't finished then. And I like to attest this too. The universe likes to tap on the shoulder and then punch you in the face. And it definitely punched me in the face because I wasn't listening. So I started this business on my own. And then this little, I guess, voice of doubt, this little, you know, seed of you don't have as much credibility because you're a woman and you need to partner with a man to sort of rebalance this part of me that didn't feel like enough. Mm-hmm. So I sought out, it was actually two separate business partners. The first one was meant to be a private investor. We then turned not a silent investor, but then he wanted to make every decision for me in the business. And sort of coming out of that, I then trusted an old colleague of mine to come in and the other one was just for funding because in labor hire, you spend cash faster than you make it whilst you're growing. So I brought this second person in that was also meant to promise me all of this investing and then never actually delivered on any of his promises. Promised money, then when he couldn't deliver money, he promised business. Then when he couldn't deliver business, everything sort of started to fall apart because I'd sort of, again, really trusted and really relied on this person to help me, I guess, to to live up to their word and to just be honest with their capability and ability to be able to support me in the ways that I needed to continue to grow the business. Now, I speak about this openly, but 
these lessons, these relationships, because I then didn't have the cash flow to sustain the growth. And we went from literally overnight, nothing to 40 internal employees and 450 workers on site. Cash flow couldn't keep up. And I sent that first business to the cleaners for $3.2 million. I also laugh at the fact that that is very similar to the amount of money that I made in my peak. So the universe loves to loves to play games yeah. in this way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was by your side as we were making those decisions and going there, I didn't realize the significance of the number. No, I only really realized this when I was speaking into it the other day. So yeah, that was sort of the catalyst for change in my life. I'd sort of run so fast, I guess, to run away from my past, but also with a lot of anger. I was doing this as a F you to all the men that told me I could and I'm going to prove to you that I can. And I did, like truly, if I had the cash flow, it would have still been sustainable. But because I grew with so much ego and, again, some more naivety dropped into how cash flow works, we couldn't sustain the growth. Yeah. We then, I guess, started again in the right ways and I've recently sold out of that business and chosen that recruitment's not for me and not recruitment per se, but just this working in a very masculine structured environment when, you know, with all the healing and the work that I've done and the self-awareness that I now have, you know, I'm a single mother, my marriage broke down in all of that. I needed a business that was more nourishing, that was more sustaining and more life-giving to the way I choose to live my life. You know, like we joke about where am, where am I right now? I'm in Perth, but in like eight hours, I'll be on a flight to England. I've just gotten back from LA and Mexico. I'm only home for a week and then I fly to Costa Rica for two weeks and I'm home for two weeks and I fly to Hawaii for two weeks. So yes, I've very much in this iteration of my life designed a life around what lights me up the most and more in line with purpose and creating sustainable change within leaders because I never yeah. had the, well, I had you, but this outside of you, I, I remember this conversation, like, Jack, I love you, but I need, and yeah. where's, like, maybe we've lost our minds and where's all the people that support this? <laughs> we had a few, we had a few of those we've lost our mind conversation, let's be honest. Truly, I'm truly. I'm on this side, I'm asking the questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it would just I don't know that whole scenario that whole punch in the face from the universe really did change the trajectory of my life it absolutely 100% changed it what I'd really love to explore there's a couple of things already from what you've said in your story that I want to come back to but what I'd love to speak into now and go into now is how important has it been for you to change that story. You touched on changing the story from your childhood. I've been witness to it and the changes that it's brought about. And, you know, there's been times when I've thought, you know, we ask collectively, are we losing our mind? Sometimes I've got this Leslie losing her mind. And it's proven to be true, you have, and you've like recreated and regenerated. So it's okay. (laughs) But what I'd love to do is talking to the power of actually redefining, almost reclaiming your story and why this matters. I think when I think about the spoken word, for example, things sound a lot different inside of your head. Yeah. Then when you say them out loud, like it brings life to the, you know, in the line of work that I do now, I say to women, like when we're creating goals, I, I need you to speak into them. Writing them down helps, but truly there's this power that comes from almost invoking the words that you bringing into the world. Well, that's that old Hebrew a regional interpretation of Arabic, which I've always loved and introduced to you, and that is that we create what we speak. Truly. Truly. And so many people, Arabic has become the magician's thing, but actually the truth of it is in ancient times, uh-huh. we understood that we create what we speak. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. And we can't hide once so, we say it out loud. Once we say it out loud, especially if it's recorded or if you're on Nine News every month or if you committed to speaking and you have to write a speech and get it out of the crowd. <laughs> Everyone knows I'm a speaker coach. There's definitely an inside joke behind that one. That's an inside joke. We'll get there. So I think, it, you know, it comes back to this. In the work that I do now, it's all about unmasking people. Like I now show up in the world mostly and there's probably slivers of places that I don't, but I would say I'm 90% there where I'm unmasked in every situation. And it's taken me a lot of speaking into my truth to get there. So on my website, I have a tell-all video about my story of my childhood and my upbringing and these relationships purely to speak into it so it has less power over me. Because once it's out in the world, all these stories, all this shame, all this guilt, all this fear that I have about being seen, it kind of evaporates because it's out there now. And you know what? No one came after me with pitchforks. I haven't been burned at the stake. Not yet. Uh, not yet. I was just going to say, but I, didn't, I don't want to invoke that. So I haven't been, but in this lifetime anyway. And truly speaking into, so, so if, we, if we go back to trauma, my deepest wounding was around my childhood and there's a lot of sexual assault and it's, it's sexual assault and it's very intertwined. So, you know, I would be working at Hayes and I would truly like 60K would land in my bank, 60K cash after tax. And I'd be like, yeah. yeah. No emotional connection to it. No emotional connection. And truly, this voice would be like, but if people knew who you were or if people knew where you come from, oh. they'll take it away from you. But we just like land that because so many women listening are going to go, oh, shit, you're inside my head. Yeah, yeah. So just like it's kind of where the universe started to whisper to me that I wasn't listening. Just this, it wasn't so much that I was seeking pain when I started my healing journey. I was seeking joy. I was seeking pleasure. I was literally sitting there going, I should be fucking celebrating. Like, I should be stoked. And I should be doing more with the money because, I let me tell you, I spent it all. You know, the more trauma work the do, I do, the more nervous system work I do, I wasn't safe with me, so money wasn't safe with me. So I spent money as fast as I made it because there was this inability to hold anything good in my life. So, yeah, that was kind of the whispers. That was the universe sort of saying, meant to be feeling more like it's not meant to be this disconnected and hollow. You know, I had a husband. I literally was making 700K a year. I had five properties. We just had a son and hit 110 kilos. And I was absolutely miserable. The outside looking in, like when I separated from my ex husband, this was the first sign that the word thought I was mad because my life looked really good on paper. Yeah. It just wasn't fulfilling because I'd spent my life avoiding myself. So truly my ex-husband didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was. And sort of when these big events happened, when shit really fucking blew up in my face and I had no choice but to, you know, the self-responsibility code, which was born out of all of this, is this rather than facing out to the world and being like, it's all you, I had to turn it towards me and sort of face off with myself and go, the only common denominator in all of this shit that's going wrong is me so what do I need to change what do I need to do to actually start to take back control and that's the big joke of the universe is that we're not in control but we are because we can control the ways we react we can control the ways we respond and we can control the way we relate with the world if we know ourselves deep enough absolutely it's interesting even talking like the reference back into your childhood and things like that what I found really interesting that you said in your opening were about, you know, you had this history of bouncing every nine to 10 months. So, and I do that in corporate. Like I go yeah. into corporate and I bounce back out, but that's actually more about that infrastructure rather than <laughs> being able to sustain that environment. Yeah. yeah. But 
One of the things that you just said was that you it was because you got bored, but it was actually masking a fear of stability. Can we mm. unpack that a little? <sighs> when you don't want the world to know who you are because you're afraid of, you know, I talk about the mean girl and we're not actually here to tell her to shut up or to positive affirmation her into change. We actually need to love her more. We actually uh-huh. need to build a relationship with that part of us because that's the part of us that's screaming for our attention. So when I didn't have this level of relationship or awareness with myself, like that little voice would be like, fuck these people, you don't owe them anything or you're not getting paid enough, like they don't love you, they don't deserve you. And so I listened and I would be like, nah, like fuck the world basically. No one, no one has my back. Like no one, you know, abandonment was my core wound. So yeah. It was like, I'll abandon you before you abandon me. So rather than deepen those relationships or lean into difficult conversations or ask to be appreciated more, I had an inability to speak. I had an inability to to speak my truth and be like, I'm feeling like this. It would be really supportive if, you know, you could give me more commissions or I would love to work four days a week because I'm feeling really drained or I need two weeks off to look after my mental health or something. I had an inability to actually ask for what I needed. Yeah. And so rather than ask for what I needed, rather than reveal myself, rather than show the tenderest part of me and lead into a conversation that felt really confronting, I would just leave. Yeah. And I would do that with every relationship. I, you know, I'm one of these people that don't have long-term friendships. I don't have high school friendships. friendships. Yeah. 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 And part of me thinks that that has benefited me in some way. It's not always a bad thing. It's not always. (laughs) It's not always. I'm a big believer in if you outgrow your friend circle that that's okay. Yeah. Because, you know, this uh, saying that gets thrown around a lot, your friends are either your inspiration or your prison. Yeah. And I feel that's very true. And I, you then realize that, you know, I have some friends that are deeply spiritual and very grounded and I guess probably aren't as driven as I am or desiring as much abundance as I do, but they will forever be my friends because they ground me. They really sort of get the deeply spiritual side of me and they sort of, we fill each other's cups in those ways. But I also choose to be surrounded by people, whether virtually through podcasts or in my life, that have this deep aspiration for wealth, um, not just abundance, like true wealth. So yeah, there's a lot of friendships that I had growing up that wouldn't fit into either of those categories. So that's an interesting distinction that I'd love you to unpack because one of the things that is challenging for nearly all women is to claim their right to be successful, to claim their right for abundance and wealth. What is the distinguishment you just touched on then the difference between abundance and wealth oh abundance gets thrown around a lot and i think people just think abundance and money and it's not about that wealth or or prosperity for me is (laughs) how much do we love ourselves and how much can we allow ourselves to be held by life so if we have an inability to receive and this relates to our mother wound and it was very interesting that you know my coaching containers are selling out my business is thriving and i've just healed my mother wounds but We'll touch on that at another time. Um, <laughs> maybe an encore performance here. Yeah, maybe an encore. But wealth and, and prosperity is having fulfillment in every area of our life. So what I've learned in languaging, and I'm hypno-qualified, so I really, I really pay attention to language. Plus, I've spent however many years in your world. Abundance sort of has this, like, it's just money. Whereas prosperity and wealth for me is like, how fulfilling are your friendships? How fulfilling are your relationships? And the most important relationship, actually, is the relationship you have with yourself. Yeah, 100%. Like, how well can you have a conversation with yourself and actually truly pinpoint what it is you're feeling? Like, 
rage tends to mask grief or joy can actually mask fear. It might be that, you know, my thing was I was almost too positive, this like toxic positivity because I would rather be over positive than allow myself to drop into the fear of the reality of my life sometimes. Now that helped me to get out of where I was to where I am, but that too was a response to avoid rather than, than actually do any healing or take any responsibility for my life. So prosperity and wealth for me is not just about being sustained, but when you are in prosperity and wealth, like, do you feel lack? Do you have to work a 40-hour week to make money? Do you have time to give to your relationships? Like I'm a single mother. I've got a five-year-old. So for me, one of the biggest steps lately to really leverage this prosperity and wealth piece has been outsourcing all of my sales to a sales team because one, I'm fitting into someone else's ecosystem. So I actually get to sustain another mother and her life and the people in her sphere. And it allows me to free up my time to feel like deeply nourished in building and scaling a business. So I get to show up for my clients as a more grounded, resourced version of me rather than this high-achieving work 100 hours a week, dropping into this paradigm of pretty much we have to be slaves to earn big amounts of money. And I don't believe that to be true. Yeah, I love that so much. You also talked about when you started the Hayes that they believed in you a lot more than you did. And it reminds me of, and we just had a really interesting conversation around spirituality before we hit record. It reminds me of a, actually, a sermon recently, and it was a preacher that I could listen to to the end of time. He's just come back from the UK. And he talked about mountain men and how we have to find our mountain men. And he said, Please, I'll take one of those. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Viking style. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, man, I, grabbed, I couldn't help myself. No, I love it. I love it. Um, you know I love it. Um, but he talked about, you know, when we come from the backgrounds, and I'll say we because collectively we've got a similar background, right? Yeah. So we come from a background, I shouldn't say similar background, that's terrible to my parents, but the impact of my upbringing is a similar yeah. level. So he talks about those people who pull you out of the lake. So when you're drowning in the lake, there's people that pull you out of the lake and bring you to the edge of the shore and they will celebrate you forevermore but they will always remind you that they pulled you out of the lake it's always we brought you this far you're lucky you're amazing and you're lucky and we're here for you but they don't actually let you go further than that and then someone standing on the other side of the mountain will look down and see this person at this side of the lake and because this person on the side of the lake is clean and washed they know that they've been pulled out of the middle of the lake at the turmoil but they just see the clean person. They come down and they say, come up the mountain with me. Who were the mountain people in your life, especially in this last five to six years, really shifted gears? Mountain people. Five to six years. Oh, truly number one has been myself. So almost like a future version of me. So I talk into this, if you had a magic wand, and I might, <laughs> we all might, if truly you had a magic wand and, you know, you could dream whatever life you wanted, without restriction, what would that life look like? And who would you have to be to make that life a reality? So truly that stepping into this belief system, this narrative of, cool, well, this is the version of me I want to be and how am I going to pull myself into that version of me? Probably number one. And I teach this in some of my masterclasses. It's like every morning I would wake up and be like, cool, so what would this version of me do today? What education do I need to find? What coaches do I need to find? What support do I need to find to actually become that version? So yeah, just 
having that mindset and going, I'm going to start thinking from here rather than here really helped pull me up the mountain in a lot of ways. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, big question. A lot of it's been borrowed belief because truly in my world, besides you and we've spoken into this, like the parts of our relationship where you probably fell out of belief with me, yeah, which I which I needed at the time and which sort of played into almost good coaching where we were able to sort of cut it where codependency came in. <laughs> yeah, because we did. We had, we had an incredible coaching relationship. It became a really close friendship. I was very involved in navigating those challenges with your business with you. At one stage, I was going to move to Perth so you could actually get out of it. And it did become codependent and yeah. we had to pull it up. And it's the yeah. best thing we ever did. Truly, because now yeah. we're back better than before. Um, but we needed the break. We needed, so almost in like pulling me up and then allowing me to fall yeah. was great in this relationship. It was the love that we formed. You tried to pull me and then when we realized you were pulling me too much, it was a, like, I love you, but I better let you go. Yeah. And allowing me to fall back down a little bit actually allowed me to go take more responsibility for my life. So, you know, I think, again, as I step into coaching more, it was actually great to realize and to witness or to embody that the parts of us that want to save yeah. versus actually allow people to create their own destiny. So yeah, in the and this is the maturing of the even in the difficult conversations, we get the our biggest growth often. And then borrowed belief from, you know, it's no secret that I'm deeply spiritual. I called it grounded spirituality because I very much know what it takes to live in this reality and to be successful in this reality and to play in the field of business. But I believe in a power greater than myself. I believe in the world is a series of energetics. Some people go to church. I pray at an altar, basically. So, you know, the likes of Aubrey Marcus, of Blue, of Benjamin and Asbury Becker, who, and, you know, this is the power of believing in something bigger than yourself, believing in something greater. At the beginning or at the middle of last year, I actually created a vision board of where I wanted to be in 12 months' time. Benjamin and Azaria Becker were on this vision board. Now, the reason I love Benjamin Becker is because he's deeply spiritual and he's in the YPO. <laughs> and throughout all of my journey, you know, I, I'm in the YPO. I... And you went in there as a high-flying entrepreneur. Yeah, and then halfway through I had a deep spiritual awakening and then sort of questioned my place in the world. So in this place of questioning, I then was like, well, who, who can support me? Like, where do I turn? And then discovered... Benjamin Azria, through listening to podcasts like Aubrey and Blue, found their book. Benjamin, being the entrepreneur and businessman he is, really grabbed my attention because I'm like, well, if he's in the YPO and he is being authentically his himself, then perhaps there's, there's hope yet. Then fell in love with Azria, who's Benjamin's partner and not just Benjamin's partner. And I actually take that back. She's an amazing, deeply connected, deeply entrepreneurial based, but deep from a deep place of caring. And she's sort of uh, stewarded the organization becoming and literally six weeks ago so these people I'm you know aspiring to have in my networks aspiring to have in my life and I'm a little country girl I was born in Jelton I grew up in Perth and six weeks ago I received an email from Azria inviting me to a retreat in Mexico with a week's notice so of course I booked my flight and I go to Mexico because when opportunities like that present themselves to you you say yes and I yeah. think this is sort of the biggest key to having people by your side when you're building this relationship to yourself is having people that help you say yes to life. Yeah. 
because a version of me six months ago would have been in so much fear or doubt or questioned it or, you know, through a week's notice, I can't do that. Yeah, that wasn't easy to get there either for me. It wasn't, no, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't easy to get there. I'm still a rebel at heart and like to break rules sometimes. So, yeah, it was had some logistical things to meet to arrive there but I booked it and I went and it's truly changed my life and that's still a lot unfolding and um, you know I've made connections with people that I only knew on podcasts on audiobooks by watching YouTube or TED Talks and you know sort of having this relationship with myself where I could pull myself into this highest version and then I've, I've had coaches I've had spiritual coaches I've had business coaches I've had speaking coaches and they all play a part but I think they sort of help to a level yeah. and then it, it's up to us to actually have the future version of ourselves almost like reach a hand down and pull us into where we want to be and that's what self-responsibility is, is yes, we need guides and I talk about coaches or mentors sort of being wisdom keepers and some people will sort of, you know, talk into mentoring or coaching being a saturated market and I'm like, I truly don't think it is. I truly think we're all meant to share our wisdom with the world and we're all meant to hire, you know, look at someone and be like, well, that's where they are and that's where I want to be. So I'm going to exchange abundance with you. I'm going to exchange some some of my wealth to help you, to get you to help pull me to where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a collective. It's been a truly, it takes a community, a tribe to raise a family. And even as a single mother by myself, stepping into this new iteration of myself I've never been alone whether it's been in person with the friends that ground me or whether it's been through coaches mentors or purely just listening to audiobooks to give me the wisdom I need to carry on reaching for the prosperity and wealth that I know is available to all of us I love this and that's actually a perfect segue because you and I actually I'm going to say we could talk for hours. We actually do talk for hours and we do talk for days and we do talk for like, <laughs> so it's literally an understatement. I like, I literally, I feel like I should have set an alarm because we just generally go down rabbit hole. But you talked to me about audiobooks. So mm. you and podcasts, audiobooks, books, what's your favorite or is there one that's a favorite over the other? Oh, it's interesting because I've gone down the rabbit hole of psychedelics at the moment. So I'm a big believer in support in any way. Psilocybin or plant medicines has now been legalized in Australia for GPs and psychologists to prescribe and to help with complex PTSD or, or trauma. That has helped me a lot in my journey. So I'm a big advocate for that. So truly a lot of my time, a lot of my audiobook space or content at this point in time is literally in the world of psychedelics. What's the one that changed your world? Oh. The one that changed my world was Grant Cardone. Like the yeah. biggest one that changed my world would have probably been that in two iterations. That version of me was definitely Grant Cardone because he made me believe in bigger and in more. The one that changed my world in the spiritual version of me was Aubrey Marcus. And the yeah. reason for that is, you know, the whole reason I started coaching and in group containers is and what we spoke about in the moments I was losing my mind was um, <laughs> wanting to not feel like the only one that felt this way or thought this way. And I was desperately craving a community of entrepreneurs that held a spiritual ability to touch into the realms of things greater than themselves. Because truly, I want to talk about slaying million dollar deals and aspiring to buy private debts and not from an egotistical or materialistic place, just from the impact that it has on my life and the lives of others that I can support. Like truly for me, a private jet isn't the wank factor. It is I love myself enough and I have to be based in Australia because I co-parent a five-year-old. But if I want to get on a plane and 
go to a festival in Costa Rica or America or go to a conference somewhere else in the world. I want the ability to be able to do that with ease. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember, I remember the first time I was actually exposed to first-class flying because we don't have that in Australia, but exposed to it. I was at a, a conference in the US and having cocktails on the rooftop in Phoenix, so like, you know, downing the cocktails and not getting drunk because it was so freaking hot. And this woman who'd come in from Atlanta, and it's a short flight, it's only three hours from Atlanta to Phoenix, and she'd gone first class. I said, why would you fly first class but three hours? And she said, it's not about the flight. She said, in the US with first class, you get picked up at your door by a driver, you get driven to the airport, so there's traffic, is not your responsibility. They drive under the tarmac, you walk on the plane, you, and it's all the same at the other end. And she said, so I have no downtime. She said, I'm running a $20 million business. I'm a mother of four. I have no downtime. I don't have to compromise anything. And that was when I went, ah. And it was really interesting because after that conversation, one of the women in our container at that time, who was also at that event, it was a glow, it was an international container. Her and her husband went out and bought a private jet. That's it. Right? For that exact reason. So I am a hundred percent with you. It's like when I twenty years ago my version of that was going to Sydney all the time for head office meetings when I was in recruitment, which is why we first bumped into each other's <laughs> world. And my PA, when I got back, my EA said to me, next time you've got to sit up to a car and a driver. And I was like, I don't need that. And she goes, yeah, you do. She said, because this is the taxi bill. Yeah. It's more than what the car and driver will cost you. And you were lugging your luggage around to every meeting because it was the day I was flying out. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, and like literally I'd be wrapping up the meeting. I would text him and he would meet me at the front door. There was no finding a park, running in the rain. Like uh-huh. none of that. So it's like that's like my twenty year ago version. And if you look at it from a and I can't remember the figures, there's someone that has a book on it. I'm sure you'll find it. I think it's the same guy that does a four hour work week. We can only make a certain number of decisions in a day. And as high functioning CEOs, running businesses, scaling businesses, being mothers, like I don't want to waste any decisions on how I'm getting to the airport, how I'm getting home, whether I'm gonna miss my flight, like for nervous system regulation and just leveraging life in general make your life as easy as possible i'm going to england for two weeks and i'm playing business and a lot of people in a growth phase of the business would think that's mad but i have internet definitely going to write a speech (laughs) (laughs) this is now publicly witnessed (laughs) remember what i said about invocation i'm a happy coach those of you can't see right now i'm grinning from ear to ear (laughs) So for me, it's like I have a lot of things to do and, you know, I'll sleep for eight hours, but for eight hours, I want to be productive. I don't want to feel like I'm squished into a plane, that I have broken sleep, so I'm not well rested on the other side and that I've truly wasted 18 hours of my life just yeah. to get somewhere. Whereas and I can, if it's on time. Truly, truly. So yeah, it, for me, it's about how can I make myself feel more resourced and feel more spacious because when I sell or build a business or show up in the world from that space, it just works better. And honestly, we were speaking about it before, but how much flow my life is in at the moment now that this sort of has clicked for me, you actually wouldn't believe it if I told you, so I'm not going to. I'll save that for my close friend. But yeah, just stepping into this frequency of pure wealth and pure prosperity has an impact on every area of my life. I love that. We've talked a lot about the young girl you were and the stories you've held. So as we wrap this out, what I'd love to yeah. know, and we'll have one more question after this, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'd love to know when you think back to that little girl, so yeah. those league it was five, seven, ten, what is it about that little girl that you still hold within you today? 
oh, I'm going to say tenacity and resilience. And I know we've spoken about this, but I also want to make this public. Everyone has a flame inside them. Everyone has this ability to self-resource to, I don't think, I know, I feel that we're all born with it. Like this little fire inside of our hearts that's like, I'm not settling for this and I want more. Some of us just listen a lot deeper to that voice or that flame or this burning desire to have everything they want in life. So I'm just hugely grateful for the versions of me that didn't understand what they were listening to or why, the versions of me that just kept pushing through the obstacles. Yeah. And just this ability to continue to show up, you know, like in spirituality or even in any form of personal growth, there is always a level of this dark night of the soul where everyone thinks you've lost your mind, including yourself. And it's almost like, it almost feels like there's no way forward, but there's a part of you that knows that there always is. Yeah. And it's those first steps of I'm just going to keep going. I don't know where I'm headed just yet, but I know there's more on the horizons. That decision to just keep pushing forward, that has always sort of held me in good stead of continuing to show up for myself. I love that. Lucy, as we wrap up, where can people find you? Because you do have these phenomenal coaching containers and masterclasses available now. What's the best way to connect with you? Probably Instagram for anyone that's on socials, at Leslie K, L-E-Z-L-Y-K-A-Y-E, because I like to be different. <laughs> My uh, website is the same, so lesliek.com. You can jump in offerings. You can listen to my tell-all video if you want to deep dive a little bit more into some of those stories. Amazing. Leslie, my friend, my heart, thank you so much for showing up all out today. Thank you. It's the only way I can show up and I appreciate you so much for receiving me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise 1000 Voices. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, then I would love you to subscribe to and rate the show on your favorite platform. Our show notes, resources, and links to all our socials can be found at anygiventuesday.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to join a growing community of clever, creative, and courageous women who know that they want to be seen, heard, and remembered, then join us in our Facebook group, Raise 1000 Voices. Until we speak again, take care and remember, you were born to raise your voice. Oh,